1: During this podcast, I'll discuss the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, with Joseph Lobrera, Director of Research for food, and, for food Assistance rather at the Center for Budget and Policy Priorities. More specifically, we'll discuss President Trump's proposed 2021 SNAP budget. Mr. Lobrera, welcome to the program.
0: Thank you, David, and thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you and your listeners about SNAP and... Um, Public
1: health. Great, thank you. Mr. Lobrera's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website. On background, 42% of American workers are paid $15 an hour or less, causing the U.S. to have one of the highest poverty rates among wealthy countries. As an aside, if wages kept pace with productivity, the minimum wage would today be over $19 an hour. Not surprisingly, as a result, per the USDA, over 11% of Americans. Over 37 million are food insecure, defined as uncertain of having or unable to acquire enough food. This includes over 12 million children. Adequate nutrition is, of course, a social determinant of health. Social determinants account for upwards of 90% of an individual's health status. Food insecurity is most prevalent in the South between Alabama and New Mexico and amongst Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky, and West Virginia residents. In addition, the U.S. ranks first among OECD countries in obesity, a primary indicator of poor or low nutritional diet. It's worth noting as well, unlike 158 other countries, the U.S. is not a signatory to the International Convention on Economic, Social, and Cultural Rights, which recognizes "quote unquote" the fundamental right for everyone to be free from hunger. Ironically, healthcare significantly contributes to hunger in America. As Princeton's Anne Case explains in her soon to be released book, Deaths of Despair. Now at four trillion dollars in annual spending, if healthcare costs what it does in Switzerland, for example, or thirty percent less per capita, median income growth over the past thirty years would be twice what it actually was i.e. ostensibly flat. Phrased another way, medical expenses push millions of Americans below the federal poverty line, including 7 million who make 150% or more of the poverty level, thereby driving up SNAP demand. With me again to discuss SNAP, the country's primary food assistance program, known as the Food Stamp Program until 2008, and related Trump administration policy. is the CBPP's Joseph Lobrera. So, Joseph, with that as somewhat lengthy background, let me start with, since I discussed the demand, let's discuss the supply here. So, can you provide a brief primer or background on the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program?
0: Sure, David. I just wanted to start off by saying that SNAP is a proven and highly effective program. It's vital to our nation's health and well-being, and it's been shown to reduce poverty, reduce food insecurity... And improve health outcomes, and I want to come to those outcomes in, in just a minute. But uh, before that, I wanted to start off with some basics. Um, SNAP is an entitlement, which means it provides benefits to anyone who meets the program's eligibility requirements. Uh, this design means that it can respond quickly when needs increase. Uh, we most recently saw this in action during the last recession when it expanded to meet the needs of millions of Americans who are losing their jobs and losing their source of income. Um, It helps uh, close to 40 million Americans each month, and the vast majority of those are recipients in families with kids, with uh, older adults, or those with disabilities. Uh, At this point, about 85% of individuals that are eligible for their program Participate. So its um, uh, participant participation rates have improved over the past decade or so. Um, participants receive benefits through a debit card uh, that can be used at over a quarter of a million uh, retailers across the country. Uh, last year, about $50 billion uh, in benefits were distributed to uh, participating uh, households. I wanted to say that benefits are relatively modest Uh, they average about 250 dollars a month for the average household Uh, if you and if you do the math that comes out to an average of about a dollar and forty cents per person per meal Uh, but despite those benefit levels those modest benefit levels snap has been shown to deliver strong outcomes Uh, it it reduces poverty so it, it it's been shown to raise the income of millions of people And children out of poverty, and and makes millions of uh, Americans less poor. Um, Its anti-poverty effect is uh, larger than any other safety net program outside of uh, the Earned Income Tax Credit and Child Tax Credit combination. Um, Another thing is benefits are targeted efficiently to those with the greatest need. Uh, Very poor households get the largest uh, get larger benefits and benefits kind of scale down as household income goes up um so the other area that's uh the literature has shown um uh, snap having great uh impact is uh reducing food insecurity uh participation in snap reduces food insecurity uh, by up to 30 percent among uh, snap households that join uh that participate in the program and uh, when I, if you recall, I referenced the Recovery Act, uh, during the last recession, snap benefits were increased across the board, and we saw that, uh, with that boost in, uh, benefits, uh, food insecurity rates, uh, came down for participating households. Uh, when, when it came time to cut those benefits a few years later, uh, the inverse happened, um, benefits, uh, cut to benefits, increasing food insecurity. And then the last area I wanted or bucket I wanted to address was uh, links between SNAP and improved health outcomes. Uh, Investing in SNAP is an investment in the health and well-being of Americans. Uh, SNAP's been linked with a wide range of improved health outcomes. Um, Adults receiving SNAP miss fewer days of work because of illness, make fewer physician office visits, are more likely to adhere to their medications, and have uh, more positive self-assessment of their health status. There have been studies that have shown that receiving SNAP early in life can lead to improved outcomes not just now but years down the road. There has been studies that have found that access to SNAP during pregnancy and childhood was associated with fewer low-birth weight babies and reduced risk of obesity and other conditions related to heart disease and diabetes in, in adulthood. Um, there's a study that came out in Health Affairs last fall that found that SNAP was relate, uh, was associated with a one to one to two percentage point reduction in population-wide mortality. Um, so the last uh, piece I wanted to touch on was uh, is that SNAP participation has been associated with reduced healthcare expenditures. Uh, one study found that annual medical care costs of low-income adults that are participating in the program was about $1,400 uh, less than similar non-participants. So that's about 25% less than uh, comparable non-participants.
1: Okay, thank you, Joseph. I, I, I'll note uh, your organization last November put out a SNAP chart book, which includes a good number of uh, uh, research findings relative to the program's performance. On health care, I did note uh, somewhere in my reading that uh, for every dollar spent on SNAP, between uh, $3.67 and $8.34 is estimated to be saved in health care costs. So thank you for that overview. Let's go now to what uh, the current administration has proposed for the last few years and is proposing again uh, in the 2021 administration's uh, budget as proposed um, this was out about a month ago your organization wrote an overview of what effects the proposal would have and that was in a, a february 18th memo which i'll provide a link uh, when i post this but let's go what did to what did the trump administration propose uh this, this past month for uh, funding uh, and uh, the, the snap program in fiscal year 2021
0: Sure, David, thanks. Um, so at a high level, uh, this administration's budget uh, and other proposals uh, would significantly cut public services that help struggling households afford the basics, and that includes SNAP. Um, as you mentioned, this administration's 2021 budget was very similar to the previous two, uh, and in SNAP it calls for cuts of more than $180 billion over the next decade, uh, that represents nearly a 30% reduction in program funding. Um, I did want to note that that's on top of 50 billion dollars in cuts that the administration is seeking uh, to effect through regulatory action. And I'm hoping we have a, a little sure, bit of time please, to talk yes. about those in a yes. bit. Um, unemployed workers, elderly individuals, low-income working families, and with kids. All bear the brunt of these cuts um, just for some specifics uh, for the first for sorry for the third time in three budget proposals uh, the administration is proposing to hold back about 40% of benefits uh, that comes out to 20 to 30 billion a year uh, half of those uh, of that amount would go to what the administration is calling America's harvest boxes and the other half of those benefits that are held back would simply be eliminated. Um, some of your listeners may have heard of the Harvest Box, uh, but just uh, briefly, it's uh, it's a box of sh- shelf stable food products: peanut butter, canned goods, including canned meats, pasta, cereal, shelf stable milk, and, and other similar products. Um, those that uh, Harvest Box would not include uh, fresh fruits and vegetables. And participants wouldn't have, uh, to our knowledge, wouldn't have a say in what they, what they receive. Um, the administration has justified this change, these cuts by claiming that the government can purchase box and distribute food commodities at a substantial reduced cost, but it hasn't really provided any evidence to back that up. Um, even though that harvest box proposal has been around, at least if you you're paying attention in DC on the food policy in the food policy world, uh those have been kind of dismissed as being I don't know ridiculous. <laughs> um but that shouldn't take our eye away from the fact that the totality of the proposals and priorities that are um kind of expressed through the budget as well as what we're seeing through the regulatory actions really reflect um, a drive a push to take supports away from Americans who need them and so that's in SNAP but that's across the board in other uh programs Medicaid low income housing uh low income energy assistance social security disability insurance um, uh so yeah those that these budgets reflect the perspective of view that inv- individuals are responsible for their poverty and hardship uh, and so these proposals reflect a belief that too many people are, are, uh, eligible for programs like SNAP or Medicaid. Uh, and so these proposals make it harder, uh, for certain groups or large, uh, groups of, uh, people to qualify for, for SNAP. It reduces benefits and restricts access. Um, it's not really, that kind of perspective is not informed by what, you know, what we know about structural factors that, low-income Americans face, you know, low-paying jobs with unstable hours that don't pay enough to live on, uh, or the competing and high cost of other um, uh, other needs that you referenced in in the background, health care costs, child care costs, housing costs. Um, and these proposed uh, cuts to SNAP kind of fly in the face of evidence that we touched on earlier about how SNAP helps uh, families afforded you know more adequate diet and has near and long term health and uh, other outcomes.
1: So thank you uh, for that. Yes, the the general view uh, on this is we're not a country that uh, governs so much by positive rights, but negative so negative that the government can't do X, Y, Z, say infringe on your rights to own a gun. Um, we don't discuss much. Uh, about the government having positive rights, which, of course, which is why I mentioned uh, the International Covenant on uh, Economic, Social, and Cultural Rights, meaning uh, the government has an obligation to make sure that uh, people are food secure. Um, Relative to the 21 budget, just on some more specifics, it proposes to cut the SNAP Child Nutrition Program. Uh, This administration's uh, go-to policy, which is imposed... uh, Work requirements, uh, as you suggested, eliminate the qualifying link between low-income energy assistance and SNAP. uh, Would refine would redefine elderly up, beginning at age 65 instead of 60, amongst other um, proposed uh, changes. So quite, uh, I I think onerous to say the least. I'll note too that SNAP, in context, is a numerator over the federal government's total budget or denominator is something like one to two percent at most. Let's go to that's proposed and we'll get to where the Congress is in a moment, but let's go to, you mentioned, Joseph, there are regulatory reforms uh, relative to SNAP that the administration is implementing as early as or continue to implement. Um, So can you provide an overview of those?
0: Yeah, sure. So, um, this administration has been keeping uh, us and those who care about um, keeping programs like snap strong and keeping us busy the past year um, so last year they the administration proposed three new regulations new uh new rules um, and one of one of those three they they finalized uh this spring um and I can uh, give a little bit of background on all three of those. Uh, the first one they proposed about a year ago and has been uh, finalized early this year uh, is a rule that cuts benefits off for about 700,000 low-income adults that live in areas with high unemployment. Um, so something that maybe some of you or uh, your listeners may be aware of is that uh, adults not raising minor kids can only receive SNAP for three months out of every three years, unless they can prove, provide documentation that they've worked at least 20 hours a week. Um, so in effect, that's a, t- uh, a pretty harsh time limit uh, given what we know about uh, low wage uh, work and how hours can fluctuate uh, and things like that. So late last year, um, uh, actually, it was late last year that uh, the administration finalized this regulation that sharply limits individual states' ability to waive this time limit in places where there's high unemployment and during economic downturns. Uh, the reason being uh, for those waivers is if it's hard to find jobs, uh, it's hard to meet uh, that 20-hour-a-week requirement. Um, the final rule uh, is slated to take effect in April, uh, the 1st of April of this year, although uh, several lawsuits have been filed to block it. The rationale that the administration gave was uh, that this work requirement would restore the dignity of work. Um, but it ignores the reality that the majority of SNAP households that can work do, mm-hmm. and they're on SNAP because they're in between jobs or, or uh, face significant barriers to work. Um, so that was rule number one, um, which is in the process of being, uh, implemented, but, uh, um, there's litigation trying to stop that from taking effect. The next one, um, would end SNAP for, uh, more than 3 million individuals, uh, by kind of scaling back or rolling back what's uh, a mouthful here, broad-based categorical eligibility, um, What the administration is proposing to do, it it gets rid of a two-decade-old policy that uh, allows states to raise the SNAP income eligibility limits a little bit so that um, low-income working families that have uh, difficulty making ends meet, such as those with um, high housing costs and child care expenses, can um, access uh, um, SNAP benefits. The current policy, which the administration is uh, seeking to change, also lets states adopt less restrictive uh, asset tests so that families, seniors, and uh, people with disabilities can have modest savings uh, without re- uh, putting their access to SNAP at risk. Um, so that, like I said, about uh, more than 3 million people stand to lose SNAP. The administration argues that. Households are, that are just above the income eligibility limits don't need SNAP, and so it's clamping down on this state flexibility. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's out of sync with the reality that these are these are low-income working families. You know, if this administration is trying to advocate for work uh, for uh, work, then this is the wrong policy to do it. These are lower-income working families um, that face high cost of living, which leaves them little. Uh, in the budget for food, and then the last, the last regulatory change um, is kind of really getting into the weeds on policy on SNAP policy, uh, but it shows the uh, the the real I- impacts of even uh, the nitty-gritty of policy uh, work. So this one uh, proposed to eliminate state flexibility in setting what are called standard utility allowances. And basically what those are is uh, a, st- uh, a standard amount that a state can use to represent the utility costs of of, of applicants or participants uh, when they calculate a household SNAP benefit level. Uh, the more kind of out-of-pocket costs you have for basic necessities like utilities, uh, that's reflected in SNAP benefits. Uh, um, the higher those costs are, the less you're assumed to have to spend on food and therefore the higher your SNAP benefits are um, this proposal would cut SNAP benefits for uh 7 million people uh, by imposing a national methodology for calculating these uh these allowances um the administration said you know they need to standardize uh, the method across states which is which is which makes makes sense uh but, even with a standardized method, the administration could have chose to set the levels in a way that didn't result in a, a cut for so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the three that are that we're aware of. Um, there's probably more where that came from. Uh, but collectively, all of those uh, re- uh, regulatory changes reveal an administration that's focused on eliminating uh, limiting access to food assistance. And I think the Urban Institute estimated that the combination of these three rules would result in uh, nearly 4 million people losing SNAP and millions more seeing a reduction in their benefits. Um, so, um, yeah, there's been, there's been a lot of uh, harsh, harsh um, changes in SNAP regulations that have been coming out of this administration.
1: Okay, thank you. Let's go to uh, the Congressional or the Congress's response. Where are we relative to what the 116th is doing in this regard, legislating or otherwise trying to protect or defend, if at all, the SNAP program?
0: Sure, yeah, that's that's a great question. Uh, so from a legislative pr- perspective, Congress has already weighed in on SNAP during uh, the 2018 uh, farm Bill, which SNAP is uh, part of. Um, and that that 2018 Farm Bill, by and large, protected and preserved the program. Uh, these uh, proposed rules that the administration is putting forth, uh, in many ways, are trying to achieve cuts through those regulations that were re- rejected or not considered by Congress as part of that legislative uh, process in 2018. Um, so, um, so a lot of the, a lot of the response has actually been from states that have been adversely impacted or have, uh, households, uh, significant parts of their population impacted by these, uh, cuts, uh, these proposed rules and, um, trying to tie things up in litigation.
1: Are are you aware, Um, are you aware of the Congress trying to, uh, void these regulatory or make these regulatory uh, changes that are going into effect illegal?
0: So, so you, funny you should mention that. I think uh, this is late-breaking, but as part of the coronavirus uh, policy discussions and response here in D.C., uh, one of the things that um, uh, has been floated is uh, this notion of a stimulus mm-hmm. um, to keep the economy moving forward. And one thing that snap does really well is, uh, serve as an automatic stabilizer. Uh, you get, uh, benefits into the hands of people that really need to, uh, you know, buy food to keep their families fed that, that money is going quickly into the local economy, buying food, going to food retail, uh, and so forth. So, um, there, I, I, I think there is, uh, discussion now about, um, doing what happened, uh, pot- potentially doing what happened during the last recession, which is to boost SNAP benefits, but also, uh, suspending, uh, the implementation of these proposed rules, uh, because they, um, restrict benefits, uh, which tamps down on economic activity related to, uh, food purchasing among SNAP participants.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you. I, Go ahead, oh, Joseph.
0: I did want to mention that looking ahead, though, we're hoping that um, Congress uh, looks at uh, improving benefit adequacy, uh, improving the SNAP. As we talked, we just talked about how uh, SNAP benefits are a great stimulus, but they also are associated with all these beneficial impacts. Um, despite its modest benefits, you know, it's there's evidence that benefits are inadequate to meet the nutrition needs of many low income families, you know, running out of SNAP in the second or third week and filling in the gaps by turning to local food pantries and other sources. Um, You know, we've, the studies have shown that food insecurity increases throughout the month uh, with adults reducing caloric intake and skipping meals as you get further and further away from when SNAP benefits are uh, distributed um, and then there are other studies that have seen uh, a rise in ER visits and hospital admissions um, as you get uh, further and further away from uh, the issuance of SNAP benefits at the start of the month. Um, other studies have seen that kids' test scores fall, behavioral issues rise, uh, as SNAP benefits and other food resources are exhausted. So we'd love to see um, Congress look at improving SNAP benefit adequacy. Um just waiting for an opportunity, uh, political uh, opportunity to make that uh, make that happen.
1: Thank you. You're well aware of the New England Journal piece on this that was just out earlier this week. The authors concluded it is unconscionable that in, that in one of the richest countries in the world, people should go hungry. They note just before making that drawing that conclusion that there is a significant percent of those of American households that still experience uh, food insecurity. I should say too, there yeah. are more. Uh, further definitions. The very low food security definition, which is 5.6 million Americans, 4.3% of U.S. households, is defined as normal eating patterns of one or more household members were disrupted and food intake was reduced at times during the year. Let's go. I have one final question. We have a couple minutes. Sure. Let me try to work this in. So, um, this is in the healthcare practice setting. We do know some uh, providers. Uh, large, for example, hospital-led organizations are now running what are in food deserts termed food pharmacies. So, to what extent are you where, and to what extent are these proving to be affected, whereby uh, the clinical practice setting or clinical providers are trying to address um, uh, food adequacy? I will say this: uh, I did not note that we're in the middle of the we're in the middle of the pack in OECD uh, countries as it relates to. Uh, how uh, well nourished we are, meaning we rank something like fifteenth in micronutrients yeah. in uh, our diet. So again, uh, where is the um, uh, healthcare uh, industry in all this?
0: Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that question, and I must say there's there's a lot of exciting work in this area. Um, I'm glad we can address it on this on this podcast. Wanted to highlight developments in three areas. The first is food insecurity screening. So, uh increasingly healthcare providers uh are using or implementing um uh very short versions of the food insecurity set of questions which can range in the number of 10 to 18 depending on uh, whether or not your household has kids, but the American Academy of Pediatrics released uh what's called the Hunger Vital Sign uh, which is a two question screen for um, insecurity, And we've been seeing and hearing about uh, practices, healthcare practices, uh, implementing that screener or similar screeners and using those at well child exams, at flu shot clinics, um, and other other interactions with uh, patients. Uh, So there's the screening part to assess, you know, where's the problem. The second area, uh, of opportunity is the work to support patient referral. So now that you've identified, uh, kids, uh, parents, uh, that are, are food insecure, uh, the healthcare information system needs to support the connection between food insecure patients and nutrition interventions, including SNAP, WIC, and food pharmacies, as you mentioned. Uh, I did want to, uh, highlight the work of the Gravity Project, uh, which is being led by uh, UC San Francisco, and they're really working towards standardizing the data standards for capturing social determinants of health, unmet social needs like food insecurity, housing instability, uh, transportation access, and getting those, coding those uh, in electronic medical records. Um, so the vision is to have standardized codes uh, for the screening tool that's used, the diagnose, you know, diagnosis, uh, be it Moderate food insecurity or severe food insecurity and the intervention, um, referral to SNAP or WIC or referral to one of these, um, uh, uh nutrition or food interventions. And then find the final area is, um, thinking about the funding and reimbursement. So some of your listeners may have heard of food is medicine interventions uh, addressing patients' food insecurity and nutrition needs through, um, you know, medically tailored meals, medically tailored foods, produce prescription, food prescriptions, things like that. Um, and there's an effort to create sustainable funding streams for these interventions by creating a framework around uh, these food as medicine um, uh, programs. And states like Massachusetts have been uh, kind of leading the the pack here, pushing forward with a state plan to pilot and scale. Uh, interventions like this, and um, including all of the things that I talked about, screening, food intervention, the food intervention, and securing reimbursement. Um, And in closing, I wanted to uh, end with an example that shows how this all can come together. Um, Fresh Truck in Boston uses converted school buses to bring healthy produce to patients. Uh, They have a program called Fresh Connect, uh, where patients that screen for food insecurity at participating healthcare providers are given a debit card uh which they can use to purchase healthy food from any fresh truck mobile market that uh, comes to their neighborhood or near near to where they live that transaction data is captured by their uh medical record electronic medical record
1: so that healthcare
0: providers can look at the connections between participation in this program and health outcomes so anyway there's a lot of great stuff a lot of startups uh, that are working in this area, and I'm excited to to see how uh, health professionals, public health, and anti-hunger advocates and um, um, anti-poverty advocates can kind of come up, come together around uh, addressing food insecurity.
1: Thank you for this last point, particularly since we we, we tend to look at uh, food banking and hunger programs as social welfare, when really there are public health programs. So I do yes. appreciate this yeah. last uh, point. In fact, you probably know Medicare Advantage now, under Supplemental Benefit Expansion, can now include um, um, providing uh, nutritional programming. So there's a step in the right direction. So with that, Joseph, thank you for this very substantive overview of a very important uh, aspect of our of health health status. Uh, let's hope that uh, SNAP program goes in the other direction and that we can provide yeah. uh, adequate nutrition for every American. So thank you again. David,
0: thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been,
1: it's been a pleasure.
0: You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archived program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.